I'd like to say good morning, greet you in Christ's name. I appreciated that song that Brother Joe led. It had a lot to do with the message this morning, Spirit of God Descend. title of this morning's message is Gaining Spiritual Perspective. There was a uh, young pilot who was flying into a large city for the one of the first times since he had gotten his instrument rating. He was flying in there somewhat blind because the weather had come in, fog had descended. And I've been in those situations where it, it is really kind of scary because you can't see, you don't know where you are, you don't have a good perspective of what's going on, and you're having to trust your instruments, you're having to trust the guidance of the air traffic controller. And that was the experience of this young man. He was in touch with ground control as he approached the airport, and he said, I, I'd like to let you know, he said, I'm, I'm kind of new at this. And I need all the help I can get. He, he swallowed his pride and he said, I need, need all the help I can get. And uh, it was a busy airport and he was put onto, into a holding pattern and they kept uh, giving him instructions as to which heading to assume and climb and descend and so on. Finally, after some 45 minutes of circling the airport, they, he was able to land successfully. And that, to me, is a little bit of a picture sometimes of our spiritual life. There, we don't understand everything. We don't know what we should do. We don't know what God wants. Sometimes it's a bit like being in a fog, but we need to trust the Holy Spirit to direct us. We've read the word, I hope that we have. we have. We know the instructions as this young pilot. He knew his flight manual. He knew the aircraft. But he needed the guidance of the, Holy, of the controller much as we need the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We are influenced as Christians by those people and things around us that we place importance on that we value. That, those are the things that we uh, make it have an impact on us. And if we value the work of the Holy Spirit in us, He will have the impact that He should if we consider Him essential to our very being. If we understand that without His input, we are, uh, we are in hard times. Paul was concerned about the humanistic wisdom and the pride that was exhibited by the worldly wise folks in Corinth. This influence was not helping the young church there. The worldly wisdom that was being preached in the city of Corinth was in opposition to the word of the cross. Paul was concerned about that. The philosopher of that age looked at the message of the cross as foolishness. The message of the cross was upside down from all the worldly philosophy that was being put forward by the Hellenistic culture of that day. It did not make sense to them. The message of the cross 
strips us of pride and causes us to acknowledge our own helplessness before God. And we are saved by Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And we, as we accept that, that cross into our lives, we live by his power. And we daily take up that cross and follow him. We don't accept the worldly philosophy as the, as the young church in Corinth was also encouraged by Paul not to do. But that doesn't leave us in a void. God intends for us to gain a whole new understanding that was not available to us before we believed. An understanding that is fostered by the Holy Spirit in us, a spiritual perspective. A whole new dimension that it opens up for us. And we have now received that spiritual understanding and a whole new world of spiritual eyesight. I agonized a bit over the title for this morning's message. I wondered what I should call it. And I ended up with the word perspective. And I'd like to talk just a little bit about perspective. A spiritual perspective. What is it that changes in, that what is it that so changes in us when we allow the Holy Spirit to impact our lives? What is different? And I'd like to suggest this morning that it's our perspective on life. When the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, it changes our perspective on life. We no longer have the same perspective. A perspective is defined as a point of view. The way that we look at things, the window, if you will, that we look through at life, that is our perspective. I read an illustration of a young couple who was on vacation, and uh, they were getting, eating breakfast together and contemplating what they were going to do for the day. And the uh, husband was looking out the one window, and he saw the swimming pool over there, and he was thinking swimming. His wife was working on the other side of the house, washing dishes, and she looked out the window and she saw a tennis court over there. And the husband said, let's, let's uh, get dressed and, and go get some exercise. So his wife got dressed for playing tennis and he put on some swimming trunks. The reason they did is because they had a different perspective of what their exercise was, was going to be. We used to look at life through a natural perspective. And I trust that we are moving on from that, from a natural perspective to a more spiritual perspective. As we allow the Holy Spirit to have a greater influence and control on our lives. The goal for today's teaching is found from our, in our text, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 5. I invite you to turn to that text in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to be reading that text here in, in a few minutes. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at the first 16 verses. But the, the central 
point or the statement that we want to make or the goal for today's teaching is that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Verse 5, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 5. The power of God is manifested in the Holy Spirit which has been given to us. The wisdom of men occurs naturally. And as we know, the wisdom of men has some real problems. We can't trust it. We do not build our lives around the wisdom of men. It will lead us where we don't want to go. It is transient and changes frequently. It passes away. The power that God brings into play in the new believer's life is the Holy Spirit. And that's what we want to talk about today, the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need that power. As I was thinking of power, uh, an illustration came to my mind. And some of you older folks remember this. Uh, some of you younger ones probably don't know, remember that, but in 1979, there was an attempt made to cross the English Channel in a human-powered aircraft, and the attempt was successful. It was called the Gossamer Albatross. It was a very lightweight aircraft that was powered by a cyclist sitting up inside and, and, cycling, and, and pedaling like mad. The Gossamer Albatross crossed the 22 miles between uh, England and the coast of France in two hours and 49 minutes. He achieved a top speed of about 18 miles per hour and an average altitude of 1.5 meters or about five feet above the water. He landed exhausted after crossing those 22 miles to the French coast. And you wonder why human-powered flight has never really taken off. We don't have the power to do that. We just don't have the power within us. It takes a greater power than what we have. And I use that illustration to say that our power, our direction for living can't be from us. There must be a greater power there, a greater thing that we need to generate that power for us. Acts 1 verse 8 says, Ye shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The power of the Holy Spirit is what powers our lives. It gives us that perspective, that power, that uh, witness that we need. I invite you now, if you have your Bibles open, follow along as we read 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I want to read first 16 verses. We, let's stand together to read the word this morning. 1 Corinthians 2 verses 1 to 16. It says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, 
For I decided not to know, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message was not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age which are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world but the Spirit which is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You may be seated. I have a basic message statement that I would like to make at the beginning. The message statement is this, man will ultimately become what he surrounds himself with the most in life. We become what we surround ourselves with, and that's a sobering thought. I, I've thought of that in my own experience. What am I surrounding myself with? What am I placing around me to influence my life? What is it that I am surrounding myself with? It's, it's very important that we understand that we become what we surround ourselves most with in life. We live in a physical body. We are impacted by all that is going on around us and by, and by what everyone around us is doing and saying. The media that we listen to is influencing us. And they, these things impact the way we live and the way we become. As spiritual people, as Christians, we need more than these earthly influences to influence our lives. We need more. The nominal Christian is often influenced by things in a way that he does not become very spiritual. The Spirit of God is not having that influence. 
that he should. And that's what we really need. We need the influence of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives. We need to surround ourselves with the influence of the Holy Spirit. He brings those things that we need to our remembrance, the Scripture says. He brings that spiritual influence. I'd like to begin with a couple of definitions for our text. The first one is a natural person, the natural man. What is the natural man? Our text talks about the natural man. Who is the natural man? Verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Our text says that, that the natural person can't understand the spirit, things of the Spirit of God. What does he mean, a natural man? This, this, this term, natural man, is also used in Jude 1. Uh, Jude only has one chapter. Jude 1, verse 19. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. That same term is used there. The, the, the original language, the Greek there, uses that term. These are worldly people who are devoid of the Spirit. So the natural man is a person who is not a Christian who does not have the Spirit of God living in them. If you're a Christian here this morning, you don't fit this category of a natural man. A natural man is someone who's sitting here today and he's not a Christian. He doesn't have the Holy Spirit. It's a person right out of the box, if you want to say it that way. A worldly person. Every child is born that way. His will is not submitted to God. His emotion which drives many of his decisions, is driving him. His mind is devoid of understanding. I read this little poem that uh, resonated with me. And it says, Into this world to eat and to sleep, and to know no reason why he was born, save to consume the corn, to devour the cattle, flock and fish, and to leave behind an empty dish. That is the natural man. His spirit is dead. If I can use the illustration of, of uh, radio waves in this room today, there are a lot of electronic communications going on in this room. There are digital signals abounding in this room today, right now, all around us. And if we don't have the equipment to receive those, we are not going to know what they are. They're not going to make any sense to us. There, there will be no understanding from those communications. And that's a little bit like the, the natural person is. A person who have, doesn't have the Spirit of God is a person who has no means of connecting to spiritual things. His spirit is not alive. It's not been made alive. That is the natural person. He does not accept, verse 14, the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. He doesn't have the right equipment on board to receive those, those things. The second type of person that's mentioned is the spiritual person, is the one who has received the Holy Spirit. He has been born of God through the work of the Holy Spirit. 
you wish you could turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, I want to read a, a few couple of verses there. Romans chapter 8 and beginning in verse 8. Paul writing to the Romans says, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. This is the spiritual person, the person who has the Holy Spirit living in them, and their spirit is is alive, is able to, to sense spiritual things. Then there's a third category of a person that is mentioned in Corinthians quite a bit in the first part of Corinthians, and that is the carnal, the carnal Christian. The carnal Christian is what the Corinthian church was to a large degree that Paul was writing to. They were called carnal Christians. Carnal is, has to do with flesh. Carne would be the, I guess, the Latin term or the, uh, the Spanish term, I think, is, is, has, is, is like that anyway. It is a hybrid of the spiritual person and the person who doesn't have the spirit. It is a, very, is a person who is a baby Christian. He refers to that in 1 Corinthians 3, the first couple of verses. He says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. While there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way. The carnal Christian, unfortunately, is where many Christians are today. They are living, uh, they, they are born again, they're Christians, but they're not living, they haven't grown, they haven't allowed the Spirit to influence them, they are not looking at things from a very spiritual perspective. They're spiritual babies, they're still drinking milk. They're drinking from bottles. And it's not a good place to be. And it's a place that Paul was very concerned about the Corinthian church, that they would grow up in Christ, that they would become more spiritual, that their perspective would be a spiritual perspective. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. If you have your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians 2, I invite you to look again at verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. It's not that their mind is messed up. They're not on drugs. They, they don't have a mind that can't understand the text. If, you were to, if they were to read the Bible, they can understand the words that are there. Their brains are capable of understanding the words, 
but they, they struggle to have a spiritual perspective on things. And the reason is because they don't value the things of the Spirit. Verse 14 of our text, the ESV which I'm using says, he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The NASB sheds a little bit more light on this. It uses the word appraised instead of discerned. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually appraised. That means that they are given spiritual they are given value through the spirit. Let me give you an example. If I'm standing on a bridge looking out over a river or some some body of water way down below me and you walk up to me and tell me to jump I am not going to value what you say to me. I am not going to place value on on what you have just told me because I realize that it is a really bad advice. Same way the person who is a natural person doesn't value the things of the Spirit. In other words, they can read that same text that you and I read in the Scripture. And it's not, it's not, they don't place the same value on them. They don't have that spiritual perspective. They're not able to place that value on the, on the Scripture that they read. They don't accept the things that are there because they don't place value on them. Spiritual things are foolishness to the natural man. They're just foolishness. This is just gibberish. I, I, don't, I can't understand this, not because I'm physically not able to, but because I don't want to. I don't place value on what is being said. And that is where the natural man comes in. He lives only for this world. His values are based on the material and the physical. And he judges everything in the light of these terms. A person dedicated to piling up material possessions cannot grasp the meaning of generosity. A man motivated by lust for power cannot know the meaning of sacrificial service. An individual whose life is directed by holy, worldly attitudes cannot appreciate spiritual impulses. The Holy Spirit gives us a deeper perspective. The Holy Spirit gives us a new value. The problem is not intellectual. The things of the Spirit are not valued. The spiritual things are foolishness to the natural man. He reveals deep things. The Holy Spirit gives us a deeper perspective. Verses 9 and 10 of our text. But as it is written, what no eye has seen or ear heard, nor the heart of a man imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. 
For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Things the natural man cannot detect through his eyes, through his ears, through natural hearts. The Spirit searches these deep things. Number two, the Spirit brings understanding. Verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, who, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. The Spirit brings understanding to the Scripture as we read it. It brings discernment. Number three, the Spirit shows us the character of Christ. It would have been nice to have been here when Christ was here on earth to see the way that He exemplified God but we were not here, there. And the Holy Spirit shows us the things of, of God and reminds us of the things that Christ taught while He was here. Jesus speaking in John 16 says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But the Spirit, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. You know, as we spend time with someone, we pick up their characteristics. And I found that it's very, it very much depends on whether we admire that person or not. I don't know if that's been your uh, experience or not. If you admire someone, if you look up to someone, you will tend to emulate them. You will tend to copy what they do. You can spend some time with someone who you don't admire, who you don't place value on, and you don't pick up very much from that person. But if you admire someone, you admire some characteristics of that person, the things they're doing are really great, they're really nice, we tend to pick those up. And the Holy Spirit living within us lifts up Christ to us. The Holy Spirit living within us shows us the things of Christ and, and brings the, the character of Christ to us. And we gain those intangibles, if you will, through our exposure to Christ. We talk, we walk like that. And the Spirit was given to be with us and to help us to see Christ in our life situations. How would, would Christ respond to what we face? How would He act in this situation? And the Holy Spirit lifts up Christ and exposes us to Him and allows our relationship to grow and to blossom. And He brings this, the fruit that Christ wants to develop in us, into our lives, the love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering behavior. Number four, the Spirit illuminates the Word. He brings the Word to life. He sheds light on the Word. He quickens the heart as we read. He convinces of the truth, us of the truth of the Word. Now to the practical part of the message. How can we gain spiritual perspective? How can we as Christians look through that window that gives us that spiritual perspective on life. 
A quote from A.W. Tozer. He says, Do you want to be filled with the Spirit who, though he is like Jesus in his gentleness and love, will nevertheless demand to be Lord of your life? Are you willing to let your personality be taken over by another, even if that other be the Spirit of God himself? If the Spirit takes charge of your life, he will expect unquestioning obedience in everything. He will not tolerate in you the self-sins, even though they are permitted and excused by most Christians. You will find the Spirit to be in sharp opposition to the easy ways of the world and of the mixed multitude within the precincts of religion. He will be jealous over you for good. He will not allow you to boast or swagger or show off. He will take the direction of your life away from you. He will reserve the right to test you, to discipline you, to chasten you for your soul's sake. He may strip you of many of those borderline pleasures which other Christians enjoy, but which are to you a source of refined evil. Through it all, he will enfold you in a love so vast, so mighty, so all-embracing, so wondrous that your very losses will seem like gains and your small pains like pleasure. That's A.W. Tozer. In our text, verse 12, it says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. I would encourage you this morning, number one, to do an evaluation of where you are spiritually. I don't know if you've done this, but I'm going to make you responsible this morning to do that. Do an evaluation in your life of where you are spiritually, not your physical conforming to the expected norms of a Christian. It's easy for us to, to toe the line, if you will, and do the things that are expected of us and not be more spiritual, be more spiritually, have a better spiritual perspective. But I would encourage you, as I am trying to do myself, is to take a spiritual evaluation. Where are you? Where are you spiritually? And it's going to take some, some time for you to sit before the Lord and, and, and do this evaluation. Where am I spiritually? Am I, am I a carnal person, a carnal Christian? One who's just a little baby and still so influenced by everything around me that the Holy Spirit doesn't have a chance in my life? Am I, am I allowing the Spirit to, to direct my, my life? Where are you? You need to answer that for yourself. Are the things of the Spirit important to you? Or is there maybe an area of repentance that needs to happen? Is there pride in your heart where you resist, to where you resist the message of the cross? Do you feel a hunger and a longing? A prompting of the Holy Spirit? Do this evaluation and do it honestly because it, your very spiritual living life depends on you 
being forthright before God and honest in where you are. And what is it that you are viewing life through? Is it through the Spirit's direction or is it the influences of everything else around you that is giving you perspective? Number two, give the Holy Spirit priority in your life. If the Spirit is not in us, we are none of His, Romans says. We are to welcome the relationship that the Holy Spirit provides for us. He wants to take control. Do you value the things of the Spirit? Are they important to you? Are you exposed to the Spirit? Do you open yourself up to His leading? Set your mind on spiritual things. Romans 8 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Are there some things that need alignment in your experience? The Holy Spirit wants you to give Him priority in your life. God wants you to do that. Number three, obedience to the Holy Spirit. Keeping in step. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Thinking God's thoughts, being receptive, not resisting, willingness to change, obedience to the Holy Spirit. I want to close with an illustration. I want to tell you a little story about a guy named Charlie Riggs. You've probably never heard of Charlie Riggs. Charlie Riggs, about 50 years, over 50 years ago, he came to Christ and was being discipled by a young man named Lawrence Sanny. Charlie was willing to grow in Christ, but he was a bit rough around the edges and didn't seem very promising as a Christian leader. When Lauren wrote to Dawson, he told him that Charlie Riggs was the only man he was working with and he felt discouraged by the prospects. Crotton wrote back and said, stay with your man. You never know what God will do with him. So Lawrence Sandy continued to work with Charlie Riggs. A few years passed and a young man named Billy Graham came on the scene. 1952, the Navigators loaned Charlie Riggs to, Graham team, to the Graham team to handle the follow-up in their early crusades. He, pl- he planned to return to the Navigators eventually. However, he worked out so well that he stayed with Billy Graham. 
1957, on the eve of the famous New York City crusade at Madison Square Garden, the crusade director suddenly had to be replaced. Who could they get? The layperson suggested Charlie Riggs. But Billy Graham wasn't sure if he could handle the job. All he does is pray and quote scripture. The layman insisted Charlie Riggs got the job and the rest is history. The New York campaign became a model for the many crusades that would follow in later years. Billy Graham said, I, don't think, I didn't think he could do it, but I had this peace that Charlie so depended on the Holy Spirit that I knew the Lord could do it through Charlie. Charlie Riggs retired after many years of effective service to the Lord. What was his secret? How could a man with little formal training rise to such a high position and hold it for so long? He says, I always asked the Lord to put me in over my head. That way, when I had a job to do, either the Lord had to help me or I was sunk. God was delighted to answer his prayer time after time. He put Charlie Riggs in over his head and then bailed him out. Charlie Riggs depended on the Holy Spirit. And my concern for myself, probably as much as anybody here or more so, is that I don't, I don't depend on the Holy Spirit enough. I just don't depend on Him enough. I depend on my own understanding, my own interpretation, the things that I see and the things that I understand. But as a Christian... As a Christian, if we are going to be effective for the Lord, if we are going to live our lives for the Lord, we are going to have to depend, as Charlie Riggs did, on the Holy Spirit. We're going to have to jump in deep. We're going to have to jump in deeper than what we can handle and allow God's Spirit to work in us. Because even as I'm speaking right here today, my words are just totally useless unless the Holy Spirit, unless the Holy Spirit pricks your heart with the truth of the word. And so, as Christians, I urge you to allow the Holy Spirit to influence your life, to give you a spiritual perspective, to allow it to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, to gain that spiritual perspective that will allow us to be effective for God. There is no greater thing than to be filled with the Spirit and allow uh, God's Spirit to direct us and to guide us further. Thank you for listening. Would you have a song, Joe, to close us out with?